We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are, Union of the Unknowns, yet again for another wonderful episode. Don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have Ashley Think Change Repeat with us. Thank you for joining us, Ashley. Hello. Terry from Canary, so glad you could join us last minute. And uh, very, very happy to have our guest, Jin. Jin the Ninja is his uh, identity on Discord. Uh, very happy to have you with us, Jin. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sal, and thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Terry. Yes, happy to have you. Yeah, right, finally, yeah. it's all come together. Um, so we're going to pretty much freestyle tonight. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things. Anything could come up, but we're kind of going to be focusing on um, uh, hidden histories, occult, that kind of thing, theology. Um, so it'll be as much of a surprise to me as it will be to you. <laughs> go anywhere um so jen uh you're from canada yes i'm from canada and you uh, uh surviving <laughs> okay <laughs> honestly it where i live is so beautiful and like i live right on the ocean i live on a mountain overlooking the ocean they honestly couldn't be more beautiful it's just like you have to survive with also people around you so that's the challenge more Right. Because yeah. people here are just very, they got really psyoped, like mm -hmm. strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could almost do a whole episode on that, couldn't we? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quite easily. But today we're going to talk about uh, a, a times in the past. So I can't wait to get into this. Um, so tell me, oh, by the way, Keel Thor really, really wanted to be here today. Um, he wanted yeah, to pass on his very best and say to you, Jin, skull. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hi, Gil, if he's listening to this later. I'm sure oh, he we'll will probably be. do another one. Yeah, we'll do another one. I, I think we'll probably a couple at some point. Um, so I just wanted to ask, Jin, what, when was your, I suppose, waking moment in life? When did you kind of wake up? Have you, have you always been a an awake person from childhood or did you have an epiphany? I'd love to know. Okay. So I'll just give a little like mini history. Right. So, um, I'm mixed race. Not that it matters. It just, it just gives context to, you know, my story, I guess. So my mom is native. My dad's Chinese from Southeast Asia. So I was always grown up very superstitious, very Catholic, very Catholic, but syncretic Catholic. Like, you know, like you understand God is more than just like a limit. It's more than just one narrative. It's like multiple narratives. It's nature. It's beyond nature. It was a very like, you know, kind of like a hippie, but grounded in some more folklorish things. So I always was like a weird kid just like really into anime really into video games 
I rode horses, did martial arts. I mean, it was just like a weird kid who was really into religion and really into nature. So I guess for me, I was always awake and very libertarian, but I would have described myself as more of like a leftist for most mm -hmm. of my life. But um, I think I, I've always you, had, like, sorry, you always go ahead, in Canada? I actually went to high school in the U.S., so I do understand, I have like a, I'm not like that kind of Canadian who is Canadian by debasing Americans, which is very popular here. A lot of yeah. people do that. Okay. Hmm. I'm not, I don't feel that way. I feel like actually more kinship with Americans, especially lately. Mm -hmm. Um, my question was, did you have a standard public school education experience? Um, so I always went to private school. However, in Canada, Catholic school is also public school. There are parochial Catholic schools that you can go to that are publicly funded. So that is a possibility if people choose to go there mm -hmm. um for me because i think that going to international school was really helpful because i was always a little rebellious like with uniforms with like whatever it was and where you learn like a lot more about the world because everyone is not from where you're from everyone's from somewhere else and everyone's parents are like diplomats or this thing and you know my parents are more normie but it was good just to see like the vast array of people. And then when I went to the U.S. for high school, it was not really a surprise how diverse it is. And Toronto is obviously very diverse as well. So for me, I did not have like a normie traditional high school or like any time school experience. But from what I see or from what I've seen, it's very limited in what they teach just history wise. It's very focused on confederation to now. And it's like liberal multiculturalism. That's really the defining framework of everything in Canada. Right. Yep. Well, it sounds Do like you, a colorful uh, sort of, uh, it's good that you haven't had a normal, you know, uh, situation. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing background. Uh, I, I'm just I'm always impressed by the people we we meet on uh, on Discord and and here that they have such interesting backgrounds. Um, I was just going to ask about your school whether they teach you know um, what they call in America civics or you know whether they, you get a good background in um, it's not the Constitution there is it it's the Charter so do they tell you about you know your your civil rights and things like you know your proper civil rights I mean so. The idea of like natural law is has like a cultural basis for me more than it has like um I didn't ever nobody ever really explained it in those terms. Like nobody ever was like, this is the constitution, it's granted by God. This is like, you know, this is your responsibilities, this is the responsibilities of government. It was always so much that it's entwined here. Like it's so much just like we're born here. Canada is good. And it's just, it's very different. We're very different than Americans like that. And like I said, a lot of Canadians feel strongly about Americans. Like they find them parochial or whatever. I don't really know that because 
for me, honestly, those, all of that fell off in the last three years, but mm -hmm. I've never really been like yeah. that, but it fell off even more. My respect mm -hmm. for Americans is very high now. And it always was like very like normal, but I mean, just because it's so different here, how people view. So I guess the constitution question, I think I always was interested in the, you know, well, we have treaties here, like the numbered treaties for people who don't know Canada, like that's a lot of indigenous history here. Just, I mean, Australia mm -hmm. could probably tell you about Australia is similar. So we have numbered treaties that go from Alberta all the way to Quebec. And then Quebec has a separate thing and they have none of that and all those places. And then you have the peace and friendship treaty in the Maritimes where I live now. So those are very much like people really value them. Like at least rhetorically, people say we must uphold the treaties. We must do this. We must do this. So that in that sense, we were always taught that like that agreement matters. I don't know if that mm. answers your question, but that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, crystal. So um, as far as the uh, the history studies and that goes, so when did you kind of start getting into ancient histories and have that interest? How did that happen? So I've always been into, um, like I said, my family's quite superstitious. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I always was very focused on religion. I've never, I never had like a cringe atheist because I'm a millennial. I'm in my early thirties. I never had like a cringe atheist phase. Not that that's bad or anything <laughs> because I think it's normal, but I just never, that was never me. I was a very, I wouldn't say I was a devout Catholic, but I always like knew I believed something. And then now in my twenties, I was like, you know, I, I always knew that I was going to be something else. I knew it wasn't ever going to going to be static. And to, just to be honest, I always dabbled in things that are now we would say are taboo for, you know, the conspiracy world. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. I had converted to, sorry, I converted to Tibetan Buddhism in my twenties. So I've always been interested in like how histories develop around how people narrate their own histories like tibetans narrate their own kind of wor like world in a specific way but because i'm ethnic chinese we always tried to like i always tried to look at it like what is going on what is the dialectic like what is happening really what's the cutting through the bullshit of both sides mm -hmm. right like yeah. what's the real history so i think that's where i always come across or start from so yeah, a, a very high level of awareness, not not a blind follower, I gather. Obviously. No, and I, I mean, I I don't know. Some I I probably do go along to get along, like everyone does, in some mm. ways, because because you have to survive. But I think yeah. that I'm very. I always try and think of things from more than one angle. Critical. Yeah, yeah. I think like you. I mean, I was. I suppose you know a born rebel. <laughs> I think probably all of us have a little bit of rebel in us. Otherwise we probably wouldn't be here. Um, but yes, you have to manage it wisely. Don't you? Um, it's, I've sort of found out over the last couple of years that it's nice to stand up and, you know, stand for this and go and protest and what have you, but, um, have said, you know, I've kind of evolved from that now too. I don't think, I'm not sure I would ever go to another protest because that really achieved nothing but 
freaked everybody out. It got no, nobody anywhere. Um, got our faces put into the system, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it, you have to manage it wisely. Um, so the ancient, what what would you say would be your favourite favourite sort of a I don't know what's part of history? The really really ancient stuff, the more recent stuff, the Middle Ages. Do you have a favourite? Okay, so this is actually the easiest question you've asked, just because I'm very focused on um, Buddhist history and like the Vedas and the Vedic texts, just because I have an academic background in that. So it makes sense for me. If you have a Sanskrit background, you can easily jump in and see other things, and it's easier to access the texts and all that stuff. So that's really where I focus. So other people might focus in Europe or like Italy. And if we're talking about conspiracy theory, you know, like the 13 Nobel black, the black bloodline. Mm -hmm. And I focus more on like, okay, this comes from Iran. What was going on in Iran at this moment? What was going on in Northern India at this moment? And what was going on in Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan? Like, cause that was the big, for me, that's the most interesting. Because that is really what they were focused on. Even in the early 1900s, they played the great game. Well, it wasn't in Europe. It was in Central Asia. It was all the people, all these um, German, Ashkenazic, many of them Russian um, archaeologists looking for hidden cities, lost cities all over Central Asia and trying to re-piece together different maps and uncovering like the Dunhuang tombs, which is a huge tomb in China. And it had like 250,000 manuscripts. So it's an extremely important like cache that they found right before World War II. And most people don't know about it. So I think that that stuff is the most interesting. Really looking at what are they looking for? What, mm -hmm. Where are they focused on? So do you feel like that informs you a bit of um, maybe a background on some of some of those 13 families um, that maybe we're not aware of? You know, I certainly have a lot to learn about that kind of thing. And, um, you know, does that how I guess what I'm trying to say is how does that the study that you have done, how does that shape what you see happening today from a great reset perspective, from a, they're trying to kill us all perspective, like, or, or it goes back to the Rothschilds or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, what is, how does your background affect your view on that, that kind of stuff? I think I see it a lot. I think I see it very holistically. I think I see there's a idea in Sanskrit that we all witness the Leela, which is the divine play. So we, and we witness it in a cycle, like a circle. So we see things that happen. It's like, I know we'll, so we'll reference it. So on you know, tinfoil hat, Sam always says as above, so below, which everybody knows is a hermetic thing. So, but that's a dualistic idea in the Vedas, in the Iranian texts, in the Sanskrit and Buddhist texts, it's a non-dual. So n everything is a, is a cycle. It's, there's no white and black. It's always, everything's a part of 
the what's going on in front of you. So we all witness the divine play. So I think that idea of non-dualism is really interesting. Maybe not the right way. I mean, I don't know the answer to things, but just if you look at, it, I think the non-dualism and then seeing how they incorporated, like where did the occult texts come from into Europe? We know they came from Turkey. The first text was the Picatrix, came from Turkey about 1256. Same area, went to Central Europe, was very popular in the Jewish ghettos right where the you know when the Rothschilds kind of arose as a family mm -hmm. a banking family I'm not saying it's them I'm just saying that we know that Turkish if we want to call them Huns they're mm -hmm. obviously multiple religions it's obviously there are Christians there are Jews there are uh, Muslims that are all part of it and everything I mean, I don't think, I don't even think they belong to the religion they say they belong to. I just think it's interesting if you, if you reframe from Europe and say, and said that this isn't the epicenter and you reframe it and you say, what is going on in Iran in 800 years ago, 2000 years ago? Why is, does it seem to always come down to Aryans and Indo-Aryanism? And what are they trying to find in Iraq? What are they trying to find? Like, what are they always so obsessed with this Middle East and Kazaria, you want to call it that. I just think there's something so, there. It's my opinion. Yeah, can I can I ask? Do you think it's um, some people think they're looking for like ancient technology? If you believe in like you know that civilization has gone through a lot of cycles, some people think they're looking for some sort of mystical knowledge. Because I, I'm with you. In the ancient world, there was a lot of contact between these different civilizations and swapping of ideas and 100 I, I wanted to ask you as well as a side issue what you think of the idea there's this idea that jesus in the lost years actually went over to india and got a lot of his sort of ideas for his you know spiritual teachings from there i i am down with that there. idea 100 <laughs> percent. yeah no i totally agree with that idea I think that that seems very plausible. I think what you said is 100%. Like, people don't, not us, but people generally don't know how much contact in the ancient world they really had. I think that if you look at even the ethnicity of the different prophets, they all came from speci one specific Indo-Scythian or Indo-Iranian kind of, like, ethnicity. That's, to me, that that is quite crazy like to me it seems like wild like prophets 2000 years apart came from one ethnicity so and in buddhism is the same i mean we have multiple so in tibetan buddhism we have multiple buddhas so the idea that jesus would travel to even iran which was oh so pre-muslim i should give a little context pre-muslim invasion of central asia it was all almost I would say it's a pluralistic society. There was multiple faiths, obviously, but Buddhism was a major world religion at that time. So it was a religion called Manichaeanism, which most people don't know. But Brzezinski yeah. was very obsessed with Manichaeanism. So I think it's a really interesting lens to look. That's actually where I started looking first and seeing, okay, what are the Manich Well, who are they? What are they saying? What are they doing? And they were a major world religion. 
And I think that the idea that Jesus went to somewhere, I mean, it doesn't even have to be far, far away. It could be Afghanistan was a, a Buddhist empire, Mauryan empire at that time. So I think it's totally plausible. I think that we see even the, if you look at like the sorcery texts, like the grimoires and the, the tantric texts later on, they all seem to come from a central source. They seem to come from the same, they might be like reinventions of something, but they do seem to have like themes running through them. That's maybe disparate. Like they understood them at, in this place in one way and at this place in a different way, but the origin seems to have a commonality. Wow. You know, a lot of good stuff. You should write all this down. <laughs> Yeah, maybe yeah. one day, maybe one day. I don't know. Uh, well, so, uh, uh, there's something I there's something I can pitch in here, sort of briefly. Um, I I I used to get very interested in the Knights Templar for various reasons, and um, you know, the, a lot of people say the Masons come from there, and you know, if you go with the idea that the Masons are a very big influence in West in the modern times, you know, that's all come from the Knights Templar, and then because of all the time they spent in the Middle East they got very interested in Sufism. So they were borrowing a lot of stuff from like Eastern religious ideas as well, or Middle Eastern religious ideas at least. So, and, mm -hmm. and that's, some people think that's where some of these, you know, these sort of esoteric beliefs of the elites come from. And, and some of it also seems to go back to Babylonian stuff, doesn't it? So, I agree yeah. with that Sorry. 100%. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Jin, um, do you understand, can you read Sanskrit? Um, my degree says I should be able to, and I can <laughs> slog through it with, and I can slog through it with a dictionary. Right. Yeah, and I can like read the Romanization. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of thing that, I mean, you can't really sort of speak it to anyone, can you? So you, you can't keep it fresh all the time. It would be difficult. So spoken Hindi is similar. Like spoken Hindi is, there's a similarity. You can understand a lot of words. Obviously, they have a lot of loan words. There's like a million, I shouldn't say a million, but there's quite a few languages in India that are not necessarily related. So obviously, they loan words and then you lose meaning. But Sanskrit is really hard in the way that people often will add words together in the, even 500 years ago, will add words together to make a compound word. And it will have a totally new meaning and it will be only in the context of that one sentence. And then that word will never be used again. Oh, so wow. that's what makes, that's what makes Sanskrit really a challenge is to oh, figure wow. out what context are they saying? That's amazing because that, that's oh, wow, I didn't know that because that, that makes the whole translation thing so ambiguous, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it already is from the language that, we understand language to be it's already kind of ambiguous isn't it because uh, like i remember you know my father my dutch father-in-law always searching for a word to convert to english from his own language and there just wasn't a word for it so he had to kind of describe it but yes that that leaves uh, translations very open doesn't it of ancient scripts etc that really is the black pill moment where you like are like a third year student and you crack open like this like Sanskrit book and you're like you can interpret this in so many ways and there's like only one way that's considered the orthodox way but then 
different regions translate it totally differently and they'll do vernacular local language translations totally differently. There's parts of the Mahabharata, which is a Vedic text, that talk about the Asuras, which are the anti-gods in the story, being Muslims. So I'm just what I am not saying that's what the story says, but there's so many ways to interpret the text. The translation thing is really important, and I'm I'm glad you said it because it's true. This Amazing, is the and then of course over time. Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say this is a problem with religious texts as a whole, isn't it? Because you know you do them with different translations and different modern interpretations, and it applies to the Bible as well. A lot of people say you only get the real meaning if you go back to the Greek. Or we need the Aramaic, or you know, whatever. And you, you, it, the English translations don't really do it justice. There are sort of words that can mean a few different things in English, or vice versa. So, sorry, I think uh, that sorry, no, no, that was really important. I think that's totally true. You know, as someone who was like, it's not that I'm never rejected, like. I'm very Jesus-pilled in the sense that, like, I'm, like, down with... I would be down with society being, like, very Jesus-oriented. That's how I feel now okay. after yeah. the pandemic. So I'm not against it. I've never turned my back on it. I just have a different set of beliefs. They're not necessarily dogmatic, but I'm very religious in what I practice day-to-day. -day. So... For me, I think that the Bible's a super interesting text. I think, like, what are you talking about in the sense of, like, the Bible? Are you talking about, like, the different councils? Are you talking about, you know, the in the Dung Huang's um, caves, which I mentioned, they have a lot more of the Nestorian, Manichaean, all these other Christian sects that nobody knows about. Like, the Gnostic texts were really in the Dung Huang caves, not the... Um, Coptic really? texts that were found in Egypt. Wow, yeah, wow. there was so many wow, really in that. It really is. And I think the Egypt texts are much later than they say. Personally, that's my personal feeling. I think they were much later, probably 16th century Coptic translations. That's seems to make sense to me. And I think that they, you know, they definitely put them all together and they sell them as this, oh, this Gnostic text. But what does that mean when there are all these different sects? It's not really giving the context of what they are, what they mean, how should we view them in the Bible? Not that a central authority has to do that, but I think that they did them a big disservice on purpose. And they didn't yeah. contextualize them. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm, fascinating i mean even now they're they're, they're changing the bible uh, i read recently i was uh, looking for a bible app to download just so i could quickly you know go and grab verses and what have you and uh, i was reading uh, one of the reviews on the pretty sure it was the king james version um don't quote me it might have been another one sorry uh but Not the best one of the one of the <laughs> reviews uh there was somebody who obviously was quite versed in different bibles and they said, don't, don't use this app. They've changed text. It's been changed. It's like, wow, okay. Um, so, yeah, as it says, you know, any, anyone who changes, it's the very, very last thing in the end of Revelation, actually, the very end of the Bible, if anyone changes text in this Bible. Are, um, they, um, are they taking out the gender-specific language still? I think there is a version of that, yes. So God is not being oh whatever. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't I look I I've oh, no. no attention to that garbage. It's just a load of rubbish.
Activision. Yeah. And all the so, racist stuff, of course. Yeah. Mm. Take all that out. <laughs> so, um, oh gosh, this is so fascinating. I really don't know where to where right, to yeah. start with all this. So, what's your view on? If you don't mind me asking, what what's your view on the whole Freemasonry thing? Because everyone seems to be pointing the finger at the Freemasons. That okay, okay. And really quick, no, really quickly, sorry, really no, quickly, sorry. Jen, before you get going, yeah, I had that same question when we were talking at the very beginning about duality. Now, I I also want to say a lot of this honestly is super over my head. I'm feeling very dumb right now, but I'm making some notes. I'm going to check on some things. Please maybe, don't, please don't. Maybe, feel uh, maybe you and I can talk, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, like, of course, you know, some intro stuff for me to be checking on. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar. Sure. With I'm sorry. Yes. Oh no, don't apologize. Well, at no, all. Don't I'm sorry. Really, really, really enjoying this. And you, I feel Ashley. like there's a whole new a whole just so much stuff to to talk about and learn so Ooh. it's exciting for me but i am sitting here being like wow but, okay yeah no, um yeah, just, too, don't worry <laughs> i just wanted to chime in too with what Stella was saying because we're talking about the duality at the very beginning right and that's a super mm -hmm. important thing mm -hmm. in the freemasons you have like you said, as above, so below, you have the black and white checker that is so important in their visual aesthetic and their ritual and things like that. So I'm, I'm glad that you took it there, Stella, because that was something that I was interested in also. Before we get going, I also want to just point out something that came to me yesterday. I was looking at the word individuality and I, I, I kind of broke it down to three sections. Like we have in, which is without lacking. Divi, portion, dual state, Sanskrit word for island, and duality, so the property of two theorems, opposition of contrasts with concepts. It's it's just an interesting, I don't know, I, I just thought it was an interesting breakdown, individuality. Um, anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. No, I, I agree. Not at all. That was a really <laughs> No, don't cut it out. No. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's just something that came to me yesterday. So, yeah, Jim. Give us, give us your, your view on, on what we've just discussed, please. Okay, so Stella is the Mason master, in my opinion, no, of the group. <laughs> no, but like, I am not, not I was Mason, never, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so for me, I'm late to the Mason game. And, uh, but however, because I have a, you know, I was a weird, as I said, I was a kind of a weird kid. I would read like the saint hagiographies, which are the biographies of the saints, like all the time and really obsess about um, all of the stuff, but in a more theological way. But, you know, the reality is the leader of this, of the Templars, which was what Terry brought up, was Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Mm -hmm. And he was... um. He was absolutely like, I'm not sure what exactly you'd want to call it, like a crypto Manichaean, a crypto Sabian, a crypto Sabbatean. There was obviously like a body hatred there. Like, and when we're talking about body hatred, that's a lot about what many people think the Gnostics said. And some Gnostic sects were very, the body is evil, the world is evil, and everything that man makes is evil. I'm personally not on that train at all. I'm actually the complete opposite. I think the world is sacred. I think people are the most sacred. 
I think what we create can be beautiful. I think we're, we're very co-creative with reality. I think we're co-creative with God. I think the more we goodness we put into the world, the more goodness that God is. I think the more, I know this is a little woo, but, um, not for us. So <laughs> I know, I know. I just, just giving it context, but you know, I really believe that that's very much what like, um, tantric buddhism is is very much like co-creative with reality and mm -hmm. goodness has to be at the forefront of it if you want goodness in the world so for me i'm very anti this idea of it of extremes and that i find that a very extremist view and when i was catholic i found that to be a very extremist view it's very not a catholic view to be against to view the devil in everything but what i do think emerges very clearly is there is a lot in masonry which obviously they are obsessed with the solomon's temple that's very clear that mm -hmm. seems very real that part of the cult is you know wherever they got that information in the vedas you have the tantra shastras um which are the or not tantras excuse me not tantra shastras you have the shastras which um say how to build temples so this is a large part of the Atravedas, which are the, we'll call them the more occult-ass Vedas, not the storyline ones. They're the more how to do this ritual, how to do this, how to treat snake bites, how to, it's more the practicalities plus religious worship modes. So I think that the idea of this architecture, sacred architecture, sacred geometry, numbers, that all totally makes sense. It all totally makes sense in the timeline of the when the first and second and third crusades happened. You had this like emergence of, of text. People don't really understand, not us, but people don't really understand the emergence of text was like almost like magic really because it was just an explosion of people writing things down that had never been written down before things that had you know this idea of the transgression as virtue or virtue as transgression it really comes from this time but at the same time these things were done in in like ritual methodologies like everything was done a to z it was never oh, we're going to take this part out and have wild hedonistic sex or whatever it is. We're going to do this transgressive act. No, it was meant for very specific times and ways to do it. So I think what happened was is people took it out, these little aspects of things, and they said, we're going to use this because they're very powerful techniques and we're going to apply them to the social contract. And if you look at back and people will talk about like Mithra and Mithra in, in um, Persian uh, is Mitza, which means the treaty. So you have this idea of the treaty being, and the social contract and the treaty in this Iranian idea are the same. So everything is like a, a product of degrees. So your treaty to your father as a son is a specific is give, given a specific number so i think that this idea of numbers architecture um magic and also like the sabbatean inversion magic i think it all emerges from the same time from the same place and i think that the masons took a part of what they knew or what they could find i think the templars did the same i think the whole 
thing is to recreate or put it back together. For me, that's my interpretation. I'm seeing like they're focused on Ukraine. They're well, what was in Ukraine? Oh, well, I, Ukraine was a Hun, like Kazaria, the Huns who were, and they still have them. No, I'm going all over the place, but they have a thing called black hat and white hat shamans in the Huns. And what's really interesting is the black hat shamans have the same names for some of the deities that the old Iranians did like 2000 years ago, but they still maintain it. So I think this idea that I think shamanism is more degrading of what was originally like a more structured religion. And I think that they're always trying to piece back together everything that was original, but they've also done this Crowleyan thing where they take everything that's postmodern and they put it in as well. So to me, that means they're also losing. So if you make it a white pill moment, they're losing because they're desperate because it's, they seem desperate by putting in all these alternating things. But if you look at texts, like the Sanskrit texts, or say the Tantra is written in the 5th till 17th century, they always have like very specific. You have to have this thing first. You have to do this for 100 days. You have to do this thing purifying. You have to do this guru yoga. You have to do this deity yoga. It's so specific and there's such an order. They seem very disordered. I think that's my point is that they seem very disordered. So I don't think that they have like the keys or the tools or the right phrase or the right grammar to put it all together because if they did they would already be god and i just don't think that they have the know-how i don't think they have the knowledge I, but i do think that they will do anything to do it to do whatever they want to do i think they will add in anything so let me ask you this in when you're using the phrase they that's something that we have talked okay. about, you know, that Monica talked about a lot. They, TM, they. It's got the little trademark symbol after it. Yes. Uh, a shout out to Stella on that. The first one to do <laughs> the Discord. Um, but yeah, so who is they? And then do you think that they are Freemasons? Are they satanic pedophiles? Are they all of the above? Are they anything and everything? Are they just psychopaths? Like, what is your take on they? Mm, are they ritualistic uh, that, child eaters? Yeah, that, that was a bit I wanted to ask, Stella. Can I, I wanted to add that little bit of extra to the question. Mm. Do they actually believe in this stuff? Or do they are they just told to follow these rituals? Because I do think that at least some of them believe in you know, the sort of magical side of things that they're, they're trying to do a ritual to... A lot of people say that 9-11 was a sort of sacrificial ritual. So I'd, I'd like to hear your take on that as well. Yeah, and I, I do want to add in to that. To me, I do believe that we are in a spiritual war right now. And uh, I know that there are a lot of people that may... That was a, yep, yep, that was that definitely a question. think that... Um, you know, that, that there were many times in history that felt revelatory to them, you know, in the Christian sense. And, and maybe that's true, but it seems like that it feels like revelations to me right now. Like it feels a hundred percent agree, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, um, in that context, it does feel to me that we are truly in the, this battle of good and evil. And I do believe that these people believe 
in the dark magic, in the Faustian bargain, the deal with the mm-hmm. devil, um, you know, the, the occupation of this realm with, with demonic spirits and demonic actions and, and things like that. Yeah. And the rituals like the Bohemian groves and that kind of thing. So that's a lot yeah. to unpack for Jean. So yeah. just <laughs> Okay. So I'll just take it in like, and if someone wants to jump in and like, be like, Hey, get back on this, whatever <laughs> on this subject, I will, I'll rein it back in, but I'll just <laughs> kind of free flow. Um, okay. So this is, I, this is so interesting. I agree with all of this. I think it's a hundred percent of spiritual war. There's no question to me if we're co-creative with God, we need to be the warriors for God or whatever that is, goodness. Like, you know, the what in Buddhism we call the Adi Buddha, which is the original Buddha. So if people Google that, it's the Adi Buddha. So it's a little blue guy with a beautiful white consort. And they're we we call Yab Yam, which is yin yang, is the same thing. So it's them together in coitus. And they are seated on the six-pointed hexagram. Okay, so that is the we call it the seat of primordial goodness. So all our original goodness, everything that humanity has ever done, whether it's been in this world or another world or this universe or another universe, all of our goodness is that. At that moment, and the woman represents wisdom. So she is the wisdom and the man is the method. And then they sit on the throne of primordial goodness. So I just want to say that first. So I do absolutely think it's a spiritual war. We have to turn towards goodness. We have to turn towards discernment. We have to turn towards wisdom. Because what I have realized is that I believe that they are, at least at the very top, they absolutely believe it. To me, that is like more clear than anything. It's more easy to answer than who is they. Like even easier to answer than like say um like talking about the round table and club of rome and all of that like that's still a very opaque it's not opaque in the sense that we know the names we know the history but there's a lot of assumptions we have to make to get to now but to me there's very obvious that they believe in like evil and that they are doing evil and that they have discern some method of mixing it into regular what we'll call mundane society and i think they play word games and word games are absolutely magic that's a very like ancient concept in buddhism and in chinese magic all of it words and even moses like i remember yeah spells absolutely words are spells words are mantras you know i remember being a little kid and uh elder told me about Moses and kind of like magic pilled me about Moses and how God wasn't angry at Moses because Moses bonked the rock with his staff and the the rock suddenly split open. God was angry at Moses because Moses touched the rock with his staff and spoke the name of water, but he didn't do it first in service to God, which is what god was really mad about so god wasn't mad at moses for doing magic god was mad at moses for not doing like asking for divine intercession like not doing it for the betterment of himself and the tribe or whatever so for me i always take that worldview that it's not evil until people make it evil 
Okay, so if I could just jump in here. Um, yes, this has been very prominent, well, particularly with me, Ashley and I have talked about intention. That's that's where the power, I think, I mean, that's where the power comes from. Intention is very powerful. Uh, so you could speak certain words with a different intention to another intention, which would have a different outcome. Um, which would, Is that a fair thing to say? I totally agree. And in, you know, in Buddhism, we have the, well, Hinduism as well. So when I say Tantra, I'm going to mean both, but it's, there's very little distinction when you say Tantra and what Tantra is, is just a religious kind of ideas that were arising in the fifth till say 17th century. So that can mean Buddhism or Hinduism, but really the ideas is very, it's nebulous, which one it really is. So there are things called seed syllables. The seed syllables are written in the temp in the Vedic texts in the Artarvidas, but they're really understood in the tantras. Like they're more they're explained of what they are. And these are the seed syllables of creation. Like everyone knows Om. Everyone knows if you're if you've ever listened to Buddhist chanting, they'll say Om Ah Hong. So Om is the is the Shiva mind, is the mind of God. Ah is the words being said. So it's putting life into the universe. It's the guru. And Hong is the kind of the creation and destruction. It's this star exploding and we're witnessing it. So we're having like a conscious perception of it. We're hearing it and we're living it. So it's all three at the same time. So that's the woman. That's the female, we'll say, the female consort perspective. So, but there are many different seed syllables is what I'm trying to say. And there are, they all have meanings. Like there are, and if you want to take it more superficially, you can say this seed syllable and say it every day for wealth 108 times. Like people do do that. So, and like there's ones- they're kind of, so the seed syllable for wealth is shreem. So shreem is like the Lakshmi Bija is what it's called, which is a seed syllable. So every, every syllable in language is considered like a lotus seed that can be bloomed individually or in a garden. So this idea that, and this, even if you put no power, which is called prayog, which if you put nothing behind it, just the syllable itself will attract wealth to you say wealth we're just going to use that as an example yeah. however it once you master you gain a sita over the mantra or over the bija the mantra is the whole sentence but the bija is the individual component so what tantra really is is taking the ritual components and re mixing it into a new grammar so it's very obvious to me that that is what is happening where they will do like the the problem reaction solution like the very hegelian dialectic and hegel i don't th i think gets a lot of hate but for me i always thought hegel was really interesting in university because he was very catholic and he was also an alchemist obviously his whole thing was like magical alchemy esotericism but i think he was actually writing us a cipher of how to really understand Marxism, because in university, they always said you cannot read Marx without Hegel. Like, it makes no sense. And if you do read Marx without Hegel, it's like flat. It's like 
looking at a piece of paper sitting on a table. It's like very one dimensional. But once you add Hegel to Marx, you create like a whole origami. So you can like, so I feel like they take these things that are lifeless and they give them life. They kind of breathe life into them. And then people have to kind of decipher all the different things around them. Like what are the individual components that make up this one thing? Sorry, I know that was a tangent. Um, okay. Sorry, Salas, ask me again. No, no, it's good, good stuff. Uh, do you mind if I circle back to something we were talking about earlier on about the, the oligarchs and their beliefs? Um, there's a couple of things I want to say, actually. Um, I, I agree with everything you say there, you know, that magic is a thing and words have power and a lot of them know this stuff for sure. However, there are a lot of them that seem extremely materialistic as well and, and 100 opposite of, of any sort of spiritual beliefs. Like that Israeli clown who hangs out with the WEF and just basically yeah. wants to turn from the robots. You've, um, uh, uh, well, exactly. Thank you very yeah. much. Everybody's uh, least favorite. Humans yeah. are hackable so, animals. Harari. Exactly. <laughs> so there's aspects of it where they, they seem, you know, to be very focused on this world and the sort of material world uh, rather than sort of with their eyes on any sort of spirituality, good or evil. Um, and the other thing I want to say, I want to go back to what you were saying earlier on about, you know, you think the world is fundamentally good. Uh, and I... I think we can choose good. Times, we can choose good. Yeah, well, in recent times, I've become a bit more sympathetic with the Gnostic viewpoint that, that maybe the world is a is an evil creation. You know, that God is good, but the world it seems to be quite an evil place run by evil people. And uh, not only do I find that quite depressing at times, but I find it... I know, I hear you. It's a, you have to struggle through it. Yeah. And well, opinions, well, there, there is a right? thought as well that... There is a thought of the way. I mean, well, I believe that we're here to learn lessons and we maybe have multiple goes at it and multiple lives. Uh, and there's a thought that you actually learn more in basically an evil world where you have to struggle against all this stuff. And maybe that's part of the, the lesson to try and maintain your essential goodness amongst all this evil. Uh, you know, so there's a thought. So, uh, you know. I know. I, I really, I like that. I like that idea. You know, Zoroaster, the, who's the prophet of Zoroastrianism, who was the first OG, we'll call him the OG prophet. He, in the eighth century BCE, he said that he was like the radical who said the struggle is in our soul. We have to choose to be good in regardless of what is the externalities around us. And you have to think like this was at a time when people would sacrifice to demons. We know that that really happened. We know they really did that. And he said, stop. He said, stop. We need to stop sacrificing to these gods. We need to start doing tapas, which is um, like ascetic practices, which is like basically just like meditation. It's probably where Hatha yoga comes from. Like just like doing these ascetic practices where we sit down, we we kind of organize our thoughts, organize ourselves, and really devote time and to God. And do and because they did flame worship, which is people aren't familiar, they would have these square temples with a living flame out of them. There's still some in Armenia and I think also in Azerbaijan. So they would do these flame 
things where they would do offerings to the flame, but they would never give offerings to God. So it was always this idea that what you in what you offer internally is more important than. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. That well, that that sort of ties into the intention thing, and that also brings me to. Sorry, my mind just went to my probably the the verse in the Bible that stands out the most to me that is often neglected or just sort of skimmed over, um, which is in Luke uh, 17, 17, 21. I think it is. Yes. Yes. Where Jesus Luke's is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees. Um, here it is. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. And that, that has always really struck me um, because fundamental Christian Christianity is always very externalized. God's mm. somewhere out there or mm -hmm. up there or where, wherever. But um, I mean, the people who were healed by even just touching Jesus cloth or, you know, his cloak, whatever. And he 100%. would always be, he would always be rebuking these people. They'd be saying, Oh, thank you. Thank you. You healed me. And he'd be going, it wasn't me. It was your faith. So he was always rebuking people for putting the healing and onto him, but it was really their faith. So that is coming from an internal place. Yeah. So, so and the other in. thing, Oh, sorry. Um, the other thing I'm I done. wanted to chime in was Ephesians um, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Um, so I also think that that kind of uh, on, Ashley, on earth. Out. Oh, hmm. sorry. We just missed that little last bit. Yeah. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. We're talking about the Bible. Yes, of course, we're going to Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically just that we're, it's powers and principalities, you know, mm. on this earthly realm. And, I, and also the theme of suffering is in the Bible a lot. Um, so maybe there is something to the struggle on this earth, but something that I struggle with is like, sure, I can say I struggle with ABC, XYZ, but ultimately I will think about the atrocities that have been done to people, um, or the atrocities that are currently happening in the middle East, a million Iraqis dead mm -hmm. at the hands of the United States and their allies, or what's happening in Yemen right now, or even what's happening here in the United States, people being poisoned by this, that, and the other thing, kids being sent to public school, no food, things like that. And my problems are not you know, they, they pale in comparison to that. And it is difficult to know that that kind of stuff is happening. Or if we look at some of the stuff that the, they have been accused of, um, as far as the abuse of children and things like that, I mean, it, it's, it is difficult to, to process that in, you know, in this earthly realm and to try to think, to try to figure out what is the right path as far as, well, do I just embrace suffering? Am I not suffering enough? Um, do I try to just find the positive and the beauty in this earthly realm and know that this isn't the last stop? This isn't the end. You know, I don't know. It's hard. So, um, <laughs> the verse that you just read out, 
that last line. Can you just read that last line again, the Ephesians? Sorry. Uh, yes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Yes. Okay. So that I just want to tie that into what I read out before from Luke, the heavenly places. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is within. So we are wrestling with ourselves. We're wrestling with how we process the external uh, how we um, feel, how what our intentions are reflecting on those things. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I love that Ashley brought up Ephesians because I literally know the Bible very well. Like, I'm very capable of even discussing it theologically. Like, I'm very cool with all of that. I just, but someone brought Ephesians to my attention the other day, that exact verse. And I just think, wow, that's syncretic. Like that's synch. It's very, the universe always has something that we can learn. And Stella brought up Luke. I always thought Luke was one of the more fascinating books in the Bible, because if you're Catholic, you know that St. Luke rides a bull. He's associated with Wednesday, which is Mercury. It's just there's a very interesting kind of symbolism of like St. Luke and the lion, St. Luke and the bull. There's a solar Mithra cult image. I'm not saying it is. I'm mm. saying it's just there is aspects of it in that. And Luke is one of the more, I don't want to say Gnostic texts, but it's it has, there's more meaning than just like at the surface. Mm, than somebody that, like Matthew is very... Yeah, it is very interesting. Because I Moloch, is, um, Moloch is very, very in our faces at this point in time. Mm. Um, the bull is being pulled to the forefront. If we remember the uh, ceremony from the recent games. Did you see that opening ceremony, Jin, with the large bull and the woman? No, I don't <laughs> want. I do, we do not have TV. Right. And yeah. I do not watch any of that stuff. I try and stay Neither away. Another device. Music, it was even music, everything lately. Right, yep. But I did I, want to say that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Terry. I just want to pitch in something on that. I did see it was for the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, right? Commonwealth Games, that's right, yes. Uh, it was you, very you don't have, you don't have to, I, I'm not, You don't have to go with it. I'm not sure I go with it myself. But there is a conventional explanation why they use the ball because there's a um, Birmingham is based around this central shopping centre, big shopping centre called the Bull Ring, which would presumably was a, a historical bull ring. And that they were sort of saying, you know, this is Birmingham. That's the conventional explanation. You can take it away. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> well, we believe them. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I just wanted to... Oh, no, that's okay. It's totally okay. That was a really good point. I just wanted to say to Ashley, maybe, I don't know if this will clarify it, but in... Buddhism is very human-pilled. Buddhism is very like humans are – we're actually in a very good place for reincarnation. Like we're in – humans is like where the gods look at us and say we want to be human. The ghosts look at us and say we want to be human because we have both things. We have materiality and we have spirituality. We have both things. So actually – and we don't use karma or merit – which are both, you could think of them like MP and HP, if you're like a nerd like me. It, we each are born with like 
amount, like an amount, okay? And we can develop both of those amounts, although it's much harder to develop karma. Merit is very easy. Karma takes, some people say many lifetimes, but there are ways to develop it in this life and fix our old karma. And that's what Tantra is for. It's not for everybody, but I'm just, I'm just offering that we're in a place where we don't use any of those things just to exist. People who are reborn in the higher planes instantly use their good karma for many lifetimes in the future by being reborn in a God plane. That's how it's thought of. I'm not saying people have to believe it. I'm just saying this is the cosmology that they lay out. Humans are right in the middle. And that is really important because we can decide where we want to go because we're co-creative with reality. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say is powerful, is important. I do think suffering is inevitable. However, we can decide how we react to suffering. Now, in saying that, am I perfect? Absolutely not. I work on it every day. I'm no pinnacle of you know, realization or any of that. I'm just saying we do control how we react to suffering or problems in our life, which everybody has. And I don't think, I don't think one person's problems are necessarily diminished or aggrandized by other people's. Like, I don't think it's useful for, like for you, Ashley, I don't think it's necessarily useful for you to say, Oh, the people in East Palestine, Ohio. Yes, that is horrible, but we cannot control that. I cannot control that. Right. I can say, uh, I can pray for them, but we can't control that. We are, it's totally out of our control. I have to just like let go and just hope that like there will be people that step up that will do the right thing, that those people are going to be taken care of or not. I don't know, but I don't control it, but I can still have the good intention. Like Stella said, intention really matters. So yes, I'll send them good intention, but outside of me, even outside of my little zone, it's very difficult to control that. Tantra is very much, we live in a very random, not necessarily random, but we have free will. So there is a random element to the world. There's a chaotic element to the world. We cannot control what people do, what people worship, how people think of things. And I'm very dogmatic. So for me, that's very difficult. And I struggle with that. But the truth is, is it seems to be true even just by observation. Like we do, you know, none would know, there would never be a time where maybe it's not even desirable, but that everyone follows like one religious orientation, even if it was Christianity and all the different, you know, sects and schools. I just think that we're, we're very chaotic. We each have our karma and our dharma and we can, we just have to try and make the best of this life because the reality is we're probably going to be reborn as a human and we want, and which is good. People always act like that's bad, but that's actually what we want. We don't want to be reborn in either a lower or a higher plane. So for me, I think that we have to just make this life as good as we can because we're, that's all we have until the next one. Mm -hmm. And what okay. and it matters. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to jump back to Yuval Noah Harari for a moment. Um, I've done a very mini, mini deep, uh, mini deep dive. 
a shallow dive <laughs> into <laughs> him, <laughs> just in the shallow end, dog paddle. Um, but uh, what I what I did notice with him, he's he's very much, I suppose, he's coming after the children because he's um, very much into children's stories. Uh, his team behind him are about um, producing children's books, uh, educating the children. Uh, he's also involved in something called uh, Project Gilgamesh. I'm probably, I'm sure that you must know the story of Gilgamesh, Jin, um, which is basically, long story short, wanting to be immortal, wanting to be God, wanting to be like God, or yeah, immortality. Uh, that's that's the general point of Gilgamesh. Um, then the end of the story with Gilgamesh is that he realised that he can't be. So I'm hoping <laughs> that that is also going to translate here, that eventually they um, will realise that their pursuits are pointless because they cannot be as God. But they're sure putting a pretty good effort in, um, even to the point of intervening in, to our, our temple, the human body. What What are your thoughts? No, I, I think that, they and so we should say who they is because i actually asked me and i never really answered i do think they is the black nobility but i think there's other they's i think they exist in every faith i don't think there's i think that they do have a bloodline which to me that seems very obvious i don't think it's the bloodline that we necessarily know about i don't think i do think that there are sabatine and Frankists. i'm very much in that vein where huns who practiced black magic, went into Central Europe, intermarried with people there, a specific population. I don't think it all stems from them at all. I think that it's multi-layered. I think that the people that really hide use proxies and bankers and different bloodlines and different names, and they have been playing the same game since at least Imperial Rome. The cult seems very similar to me to the Roman cult. I'm not an expert in Rome. I'm not an expert in like Roman paganism or the Roman imperial cult, but I do know a little bit about the Roman imperial cult and they really were very ancestor worship, but not everybody's ancestor. They were very much deifying their own families. Like they are God. The emperor is God. So I definitely think that in terms of the Gilgamesh thing, I think that that's all interrelated. I see a lot of Babylonian links. I don't know that much about ancient Sumer. I do know quite a lot about about Babylon and um, some aspects of Northern Central Asia, but really my area of like research and more, not expertise, but where my stronger, my my knowledge is stronger in India, Central Asia, East Asia. But I definitely see, I see it all the threads. And I know that's, people might think that that's wild, and it probably is. But I think that when, so Yuval Noah Harari is clearly like a Sabbatean Frankist. Like very obvious to me. He, it's not about that they necessarily are Satanists but they deliberately turn away from God. They knowingly and deliberately turn away from God. And it's not even about being atheist, which I'm not really cool with atheism really anymore. Like, I'm not really, like, I don't think it's, I think it's better just to be, if you don't believe that's okay. 
if you're agnostic that's that's actually i'm down with not agnosticism because at least you have the question i always have the question for myself too so it's not like i just am saying believe whatever you want but i think that there's a deliberate turning away with god which many people have done culturally and i think that there are specific times where it's promoted and i think if you look at the history of the sabbateans in europe and how they converted to islam and how they converted to christianity at different times and you can see like i know a lot of the alt-right who i like sometimes like they're very interesting and funny on twitter they are very <laughs> orthodox pilled they are very orthodox pilled but i will tell you there are many instances of people who were clearly practicing black magic that were converting to orthodoxy there were men and i know a lot of people are muslim pilled oh hi keel keel's in the house <laughs> i am how's everybody doing i don't sorry i apologize for interrupting can continue no 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 your... it's totally cool so I just, stuff. yes i agree jen they're, they're doing everything they can to break the connection to the higher form, yeah. God, That's whatever where you want to call it, the universe, yeah. whatever. It's it's all the same. Yes. They, I they think want that they're to trying to eminentize. I think they're trying to eminentize their vision, like Terry was saying. They're trying, like, the, I think all the AI stuff I do think is demonic, whatever you want to call that. Mm. I don't even, I'm not even quite sure that the technology is where they say it's at. I'm yes, not convinced that the GPD <laughs> stuff is, I think it's a person. I think it's a person. I think people are buying into it. I will personally never use that. I don't use Ouija no, boards either, but that's just me. Same. You know, same. I agree. I think it's a, I think it's the beast system basically. And I think that we yes. are shooting ourselves in the foot by training it. Um, we are anyone who participates in chat GPT. I don't think they fully understand what they're doing. I know that sounds very woo woo. When no. you understand things uh, on a larger scale, which, you know, let's face it, the larger percentage of people don't. They just don't spend time on this stuff. They don't think about it that much. They're too busy with their lives, etc. Um, but I think, yes, it's it's dabbling, well, dabbling with the devil, I suppose, if you want to really put it into a phrase. Um, I will never have anything to do with it. As tempting as it is, I really want to give it a go, but I'm not going to. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's I, I think level. for what it's worth, uh, they're way off artificial intelligence and chat GPT is nowhere yeah, near Yeah, I agree with that. To be. Uh, I and, don't know whether um, it's a person, though, because um, some of those... It, um, well, I, it, it's an interesting idea. I've not heard anyone say that before. Jim I have, actually. It could be a person. I because have I don't this. think... I don't think real AI could pull it off. And, um, no, I don't either. These guys, the problem these guys have got is that they are very materialistic and they think you know, the, uh, a mind and a soul is all about algorithms, basically. And they don't really understand that, you know, we're much more than that. Yeah, There's something just... inside us that can't be recreated in a computer. So I don't think they've got any chance of pulling it off, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, don't, I definitely do not think it's humans sitting there doing that because uh, there's no way, there is not a chance that a human could respond as fast as this thing does. There's no way someone could type and think up something and type so i do believe it is algorithmic um it, it's it's computer uh it's just basically it's just scanning very quickly and putting things together but there's not a chance that this stuff could come back so fast if it was humans so 
no, I don't believe it's humans. I've never tried. I've never tried it myself. So yeah. I've, I have. I haven't either. But I've seen it. I've seen it being done like live. Well, the other problem they've got is it's is it's seriously broken because they've programmed all this woke shit into it. You know, this sort of anti science exactly. stuff. So it's yeah, it, it's broken before it starts because it comes yeah. up with nonsense answers to certain questions. It's very controlled. Um. I also wanted to go back uh, just a bit when uh, Jen was discussing like the right on, you know, the Twitter, the people speaking out. I, I wasn't really, um, I'm not sure what you were exactly saying about that because okay. we were kind of talking about like the, they, they are actively intentionally against God. And then you were you were tying in sort of like well, I just meant I don't think that there's a there's an out like there's a lot of people on the dissident right Twitter we'll call it like the dudes Twitter who are mm -hmm. very funny and very like I like all of them I'm not anti them it's not a diss against them and. I just think that they're very – they believe they've all converted to Greek Orthodox, which is more power to them. I just don't see it in the research that there is one specific religion that is the out religion that includes none of the cultists or whatever you want to call them, the they. I think mm -hmm. that they is pervasive. I think the they is in every country. I think that they has been – and whether it's the top 1% they – or whether it's like their little minion they or their social control they, because they are very focused on disrupting even in leftist speaking, they call them compradors, which are people that work for the colonial governments, you know, way back when England or maybe England never stopped being the colonial power. We, uh, that's a discussion, but in the, the colonial days, they would call those people compradors who would work for the colonial state. So I just think that they love disrupting people on every level. They really love the upper middle class because the upper middle class tends to be very materialistic. And I'm not against that. People can make their money. People do their hustle. I'm all for markets. Even if I was when I was a leftist, I think that markets are very freeing. And I think it's good in every way, especially living in Canada and having our healthcare system. I think markets right. are the way to go. I don't think the price in the U.S. is good. I don't know necessarily how to fix that, but I just think that the choice is so much better than having like state choice and state mandates. And so I think that what I was trying to say, and I probably didn't articulate it well, is that there's this idea sometimes on the right that you can just escape the cult by turning to this religion or this person or, you know, like there's always the hero. But like, I think that for me and I think what to, uh, tantric Buddhism has taught me is that our fight is if inside. Our fight is we have to be the people that are the warriors for good. And I think that that's that's what we can control. That's what we can do. And I think that what happens with the left a lot and why they go crazy is they believe in, in a specific kind of Gnosticism that teaches that the state is eminent. So in, in tantric belief, we believe that there's, we believe in God. I know some people that will be crazy to them because I've heard some people 
say they're Buddhist and then be like, whoa, there's no God. It's anti-theistic, whatever. But it's actually, that's totally not true at all. So we accept the existence of God. We accept the existence of both aspects of God, meaning male and female. But they're one thing. They're not dualistic. But like in some Gnosticism, the female, the Sophia, but we call it the Shakti or the Prana, if you're Buddhist, she turns and looks at the world. So they're so as I was saying about the origin, the Adi Buddha in Buddhism, they're copulating. So that's the perfect consciousness, perfect wisdom, perfect compassion. That's God. But then she turns and looks. So in the Gnostic stories, you see the story of the Sophia falling. She falls through all the worlds, the Trilokya, the three worlds of the universe. And she falls and creates matter. In Buddhism, we have the exact same idea. In Tantric Hinduism, there's the exact same idea. We describe it a little differently, but pretty much the idea we all arrive at is the same. What happens is, is that the cult believes that you can emanatize the perfection on the material plane. They don't understand what the, what I, well, in my opinion, they do not understand that where we need to emanatize is in ourselves. Like I said, we just, mm. we need to be the warriors of goodness, not, we cannot externalize it. And I think that the idea that the state can mandate virtue is very much tied into their thinking of the state as the perfect being it's creating like a golem using the state's ideology and that's why they've done this return to the secular ideology they'll say defund the police but then they're happy when the police do bad things against people on the right we know that that's the case like i mean nobody right exactly they're totally happy with that they're happy to bomb the middle east but as long as it's Obama doing it, they're right. happy with, right. But Trump does says the wrong thing. They hate him. And I'm not on the Trump. I'm not, you know, that's, I'm with Stella on that, but I'm, I love MAGA people. I'm just going to say that I'm a libertarian, but I, I have a big, you know, I'm down with MAGA. Like if you want to be good and you want to make things better, all the power to you. And I hope you do. Yeah, that's, that's, again, we're coming back to an intention thing, aren't we? It's no matter who you follow or whatever it is, it is really about what's, what's coming from within. And I think we're, we're, as much as I would, I could talk to you for the next week nonstop. Yeah, really but uh, we really have to wrap up. Unfortunately, we are bound to this uh, three-dimensional world with time constraints. Um, so, yeah, what you said about we have to be the warriors of goodness, I think that's a really... A really fantastic place to um, wrap up. I also want to take something else that you said, Jin, um, that it's about goodness, discernment, and wisdom. We have to practice these things, uh, be conscious of them, get good at them. <laughs> Just keep them keep them at the forefront of our minds with everything we do. It's, it's easier said than done. But Jin, thank you so much. This has been an incredible journey um, of all sorts of things and all sorts of places and times. I've learned so well, thank many Thank you things. so much for inviting me. Thank you for being here. And that thanks, really guys, for, for joining us. Um, thank you to the thank people. Thank you, who Ashley. Are thank you, Terry. Thank you, Keel. Thank you so much, thank Stella. You I really, really appreciate excellent. it. Yeah. yeah we'd uh, love Jen, to get you back on again, too. I just Jen, wanted to say, the, yeah, the exact same thing. I have really 
enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope that maybe we can do something like this again, and maybe we can even plan it where we don't have anything else. So we can just talk as long as we can and then break that up into segments or something like that. Uh, this has been really good. Yeah. We, we okay. could do it. I'm yeah. glad you liked it. Thank you so much again. Um, Stella. It'd be good to get, uh, maybe You're great. welcome. be good to get your thoughts, Jill, on maybe sort of, you know, uh, alternative views of, um, conventional history, which is where what killed very, very I think, much. I just want to say, normie history is important. Normie history matters. Sometimes conspiracy people go too far off, and I think that you have to have the foundational view first, and then you can see where you want to, you know, change direction. But I think it's really important to have a normie history first. That's yeah, just, that I just want to say that. All right, well, well said. And um, my fellow warriors, we must wrap up because uh, we have a, another guest coming on very soon. So thank you again, Thank Jim. you so um, much. Look forward to seeing you again in Discord. And uh, where can we be found, Ashley? I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> you can find <laughs> us on our website, unionoftheunknowns.com. That's our link tree, and it has link to everything, everywhere we're on rumble we have some shorts on youtube we are on twitter at union unknowns we are on <clears throat> you can email us you can leave us a voicemail and you can also follow us on rockfin that's a new addition and we're very excited about that and especially if you ended up signing up via rockfin through you know finding our account we would be so grateful so thank you all right well uh, yet again I failed to introduce myself. I'm Stella Q from Australia. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thank I you. Wish I wish I had jumped in earlier. I missed the whole thing. But Next time, Keel. Next time. Next time, definitely. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.